0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Female Footballers Podcast. My name is Cassie Gray. I am your host, and I am thrilled because today we are going to jump into a very serious topic, but with some badass women. So I'd like to introduce them. We have Haley Lucas, our COO. Go ahead and say hi, Haley.
1: Hi there. Um, I've been on episodes before, so you guys know me.
0: Yes, but we have two guests today that we are really excited to talk with. We have Meredith Rooney and Rachel Wood, and I'd like for each of them to introduce themselves and give a little bit of who they are and, um, and then we'll kind of jump into what we're talking about. So Meredith, can you give us a little, little background on who you are, what you do? Absolutely. Um,
2: First of all, thank you for having me on and having us on. We really appreciate it because the more voices we have, the louder we're going to be. But uh, I'm a former college player, um, much better coach than I was a player. Uh, Last position I had was a technical director at an ECNL club. Um, I now run my own company that does private and small group training for kids that have goals to make varsity soccer all the way up to playing professional one day. Um, but I've been coaching for about 20 years, um, but my main focus is on player development.
0: Awesome. And Rachel?
3: Yeah, like Meredith said, thanks so much for having us on. Um, you know, we're both really passionate about this this subject and we can't wait to kind of dive in. Um, a little bit about me. So I played my college, well, I grew up in Southern California and played for an ECNL club there. Um, pre-ECNL for the Slammers. Um, And then I played my college ball at North Carolina and then played professionally in the NWSL um, for the Breakers when they were still around. Um, And when I was playing, I was also coaching just to supplement my income and I found this huge need um, to help girls build their confidence and build their self-esteem through soccer. And so I started Summit Soccer Academy and I do the same thing that Meredith does. individual and small group sessions, um, and really focusing on developing people as well as players.
0: Awesome. And let's be clear. So female footballers is based on the West Coast, and you both are on the East Coast. So I want our listeners to know that we are going to dive into a topic that is rampant all over America. Um, And it is very clear in getting to meet you guys that this is an issue everywhere. Um, So without further ado, we are going to be talking about abuse in the youth soccer system in America. So this is a very heavy topic. We want to give, you know a heads up. Um, there's going to be some things that we talk about that could be triggering. So if this is something that um, affects you deeply in that way, we just wanted to give you the heads up that we are going to dive into some serious topics. Um, but without further ado, we're going to talk about this because you know as everyone knows in the last year and a half with all of the reports coming out for NWSL, whether it was the Sally H. report, For the most recent NWSL Players Association report, there is um, a lot of talk conversation and reports on abuse at the pro level. And as all of us who are involved in youth soccer, uh, we see this on a daily basis in our careers and in our own experiences as players. And nobody's talking about it from a youth perspective. So we wanted to dive right in and kind of blow it up and make sure that parents and coaches and players are aware of what it is, what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, and maybe some you know, takeaways and calls to action that we can help um, people with going forward and, and make sure that something the change actually happens. So I think before we dive into um, our own experiences or the needs for change, I think it's really important that we define what abuse is. And the different types of abuse that we're seeing in the youth soccer um, system. So the first one I wanted to go over was emotional abuse. Um, Just to give a very, you know, clinical definition, emotional abuse is a pattern of behavior in which the perpetrator insults, humiliates, and generally instills fear in an individual in order to control them. Um, Individuals' realities may become distorted as they internalize the abuse as their own failings. And just to be clear, an isolated occurrence doesn't necessarily qualify as emotional abuse. It's more a pattern of behavior that creates fear and control. So um, what do you guys, um, and and help me out here because I don't want to do all this talking. Um, There are not just reports of emotional abuse in the NWSL or the youth market. There's a lot of other kinds of abuse, but I would say emotional abuse is probably one of the the top ones we've heard about at female footballers, from your guys' perspective and your own organizations and the girls you work with, um, are you hearing and seeing emotional abuse a lot?
2: Absolutely. I mean, I I mean, from being on the sidelines, that's it, it was every game. Uh, every weekend at every level and I think the level that I saw it like the least amount was when I go to my nephew's rec soccer games and everybody is still looking at them like kids having fun um, that's the only time I haven't really heard it and I just hear support um, I'm a I've been a trainer all the way up to an ECNL coach and I, I've heard it at absolutely every level
3: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that's important to note too, is that the verbal abuse is, you know, very closely tied to the emotional abuse and the things that a lot of these coaches are saying to these young players. And, you know, I can only speak about it from the girl side of things. Um, I don't coach very many boys, but you know, in growing up in that system and playing in that system and now dealing with girls in that system, um, the words that are said and then the pattern of behavior after used to manipulate these young girls, um, I would say is the two, the two biggest forms of abuse that we're seeing right now is the verbal
2: and then how that gets tied into the emotional abuse. And I think one of like the, the ways that you see it first, where it starts to become normalized and where kids get gaslit, that they're making it up as favoritism. So that'll happen really quickly on a team. And like, I think a lot of parents get confused. Well, my team was like that, and you got to earn your way to the top. And as a coach who treats everybody exactly the same, whether they're gonna they're gonna play Division One or they're just gonna play until high school, um, nobody needs to be treated like a favorite or like the worst player on the team. You're there to develop everybody, and we don't expect that from teachers, and we get upset when they do that. And a coach is a teacher, and I think that's one of the ways that it like it starts working its way into the team and to the kids really quickly where it doesn't look like emotional abuse, but, but it is.
0: 100% with you on that. As a former teacher, a current teacher, I'm always baffled that um, that the, the standards in which we expect from a teacher are different from a coach when, like you just said, they're the same thing. That, you know, They do the same thing every day. And so I, I couldn't agree more. And I think like you said, Rachel, it's important to kind of define that verbal abuse is actually part of emotional abuse. It can also be known as a verbal aggression, verbal attack, verbal violence, verbal assault. Um, but it is part of emotional abuse. It involves oral or gestured or written language directed to somebody. Um, it includes words such as you know, harassing, labeling, insulting, scolding, excessive yelling, all of that is under the umbrella of verbal abuse, which is under the umbrella of emotional abuse,
2: so. And I yeah. think that it's yeah, the emotional abuse is like the grooming towards the verbal and then the physical, which you know, we'll talk about later, which I don't think people are realizing is like going on in regards to the fitness that's being done. But that's the gateway. That's like the grooming process is like being allowed to emotionally manipulate your child um then they're going to be allowed to yell at them then they're going to be allowed to make them run until they tear their ACLs you know so it's 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 a it's a a, the beginning of the grooming process is the emotional component
3: yeah and I think you know we've normalized the verbal abuse so much too that I've heard this so often I yell because I care right and so many coaches have used that as you know I'm passionate about the game and we've allowed adults to yell at kids and and have normalized it and that's kind of that like Meredith was saying that gateway into then we can start to you know emotionally manipulate these girls and then you know physically abuse and and so on and so forth
0: absolutely Haley, do you have anything to add to any of this no yeah I think it's um you know For all of us on this call, we're not surprised by this. This is not something new. We might have experienced this as players as well. Um, But I think that a lot of parents who might be listening who are new to the youth soccer system are sort of like, they might not have had this experience that they might have, or they're just so, and for lack of a better term, clueless as to what's really going on. And I think that this is why we're having this podcast is to educate and help uh, any way that we can in normalizing that this is happening and nobody's talking about it and all the things that we're seeing at the NWSL level, they start somewhere and they start here, as young as eight. Um, and I think that people aren't, you know, they're they're not discussing it because it's sort of like they just want to turn a blind eye and not think about it, but it's it's happening and it starts young and it becomes to the point where these girls get to the pro level and they don't even realize it's happening because it's just been a part of their journey this whole time. I think all of us have probably experienced that in one form or another as a player, definitely as coach. Um, And I think it's important that, you know, we're going to touch on this briefly, but you know, there's also, there's sexual misconduct also happening. And um, I think that's been a little bit more widely defined, um, but maybe not. Uh, Do you guys want to kind of touch on that?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it, again, the process again starts with that emotional manipulation, and I think everyone always thinks of it as like the the uh, the scapegoat side of it as being like the one being verbally abused. But it's like you don't want to be the golden child on the team either. If your coach is giving you special or extra attention, that is an absolute red flag. I mean, I have kids i'm very lucky that are like rachel and you know i've played at youth national team levels or maybe playing pro now but like i don't treat them any differently than a kid i have that's like just trying to make the a team in their town i don't there's no difference in in the way those kids should be treated so with the 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 sexual side of it is still there i mean rachel knight did a podcast a year ago about a guy who had like hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers, and his Instagram had not not been taken down, even though he had been caught with a 13-year-old, you know, so it's, like, it's still there, and from our generation, we talked about it, was, you know, coaches were always trying to date players all the time. It was normalized, and I think what's happened is they've just gotten smarter about it, and they know to become their buddy when they're in high school, and then wait until they're 18, like, they're not they've just become more intelligent about it and they understand grooming a little bit better and they're, begin- they're allowed to because they have this, this goal that kids have in front of them that's going to not make them think the right way. And if you don't have the right support of your parents like next to you, like I was really glad my mom knew something was up with a high school trainer I had immediately, she was like, she started coming to all my sessions and she never did that before. So, you know, as a parent, like if your gut is off, absolutely listen to it. Um, and I, like I said, I think the beginning of that process starts with like the favoritism, you know, is like, ooh, Because like all of us felt that as players, oh, coach likes me, coach approves of that. Like, oh, I scored a goal. Like it takes a long time as a player to mature and like you don't need the validation of others except for yourself. Like that is a very mature thing and that doesn't happen for a long time. So it's a really like vulnerable position for kids to be in, especially if their parents aren't super protective of them.
3: And I think, you know, Meredith, like you were saying how coaches and administrators have gotten smarter. I think also the technology piece has made it a lot easier and more accessible for adults to get in touch or to be in close contact with kids. Like, even when you think about it, texting is a very intimate thing, right? Like an adult coach can choose to text a child at nine or 9.30 at night and instantly, you know, he's in her bedroom and they're having a conversation. like. There, there need to be sort of clear boundaries set up. You know, I it always still kind of creeps me out when I see male coaches, you know, welcoming their kids to practice with a hug, and it's that's how it starts. It's, you know, it's a hug. It's something more than, you know, more than a wave
2: across the field. I love you. I love you so much. And then they're like playing for the love of a grown man. You know, it's like it starts really young. Um and you know, if you're like, whoa, that's too much, then you're probably part of the problem. I, you know, because I think people like us immediately are like, that's weird. You know, if 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 your priority is a child and if they're safe, you know, you you understand boundaries. And and I know for me, I always try to show my my parents, and my players what healthy should look like. I do not text with my players. I'm a private trainer and I don't text with my kids unless it's about college stuff and I like. Their parents are sent almost everything and they're, they're privy to every conversation that we have. There's no secrets, you know, like those kind of things. There's no private meetings or anything like that. Um, and it doesn't matter how safe I am. I'm showing them like what boundaries look like because somebody outside of me might not be safe and you're going to think they're safe like me. Um, and it's super important to, sh- to, to show people that. But I think like this advantageousness to like get ahead is just absolutely clouding people's judgment with their children. And I think it's just such a breeding ground, just like gymnastics was for predators. It's, the, it, it's, it's showing the same signs.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, and I think some of our listeners might be, alarmed by some of this but um from like we said in the beginning from a teacher perspective I'm encouraged not to hug my students believe it or not and I teach. you know I've taught second grade fifth grade third grade and I was always encouraged if you're going to hug a student you you hug them from the side you don't hug them directly Um, and I think you know some people who are maybe more old school are sort of like well that's ridiculous they should be able to hug their teachers but it's more about creating the boundaries, the professionalism within the sport or the the school setting. Um, I think that's where we're what we're lacking the most is professionalism. So if we're talking about creating more professionalism within the the roles, that's one easy thing that that should be changed that that shouldn't have happened in the first place. Even if you have a wonderful relationship with your coach, and let's be clear, there are some there's amazing coaches out there. We're not here to bash coaches and say that they're all bad, but we're also making sure that. People are aware of what has been normalized that is not okay. And I think that's where Yeah, and,
2: and we're absolutely coaches who are amazing. And there's male coaches who are amazing. But again, I think if you're you're a male coach and you're listening to this and it offends you, or if you're a male coach and you're listening to this and it doesn't offend you, that those are two different things. You know what I mean? Because I think it's like a lot of issues. If it doesn't offend you, then you're accepting that this is an issue and like that you might you might not be a part of the problem, but it is there. Um, and you don't have to ignore it to be, you know, kind of a thing. So I think, you know, there, there, there are a lot of good coaches, but there's like more of us need to connect with each other to become bigger. You know what I mean? And I think what tends to happen is we get isolated into our own things, um, because like we don't fit within an abusive system. So in order to do things properly in the way that you want to do them and treat people the right way, like you have to be in charge and you have to kind of do it your way and create your own staff. Um, you know, so it, it doesn't leave a lot of space for coaches like us, you know, they're teachers, um, because the main focus is like is more recruiting kids into a system, you know, not developing human beings. Um, but that's what's being sold. You know, they all know what to tell parents, they know what to feed them. But you're right, like there needs to be standards of professionalism and practices for coaches, because um, the lack of professionalism is like out of control i did a lot of coaching courses i was a coaching course instructor i've been a director at a lot of my jobs and i've seen it get worse not better i feel like when i first started it was like it meant a lot to like go like get your licenses and i learned a lot about professionalism and things i wouldn't have learned if i just went right into coaching without doing that um But I I think you're really right about that is like, I look at it like teaching, right? So when you're a teacher, so like you understand that, but there's like a lot of the people I'm working with don't seem to care or understand about that because they're coaching for like the wrong reasons. Mm
3: -hmm. Well, and I think too, so much of the coaching and recruiting that goes on is for this end goal of college soccer, right? And so the whole youth system is a very sort of fear-mongering system. And it's very difficult if you're not in it daily with your finger on the pulse to understand how it works and what's going on. And so I think a lot of parents are confused as to what is okay and what's not okay. And I think a lot of times too, these parents get wrapped up in the hype of a college scholarship. And when these coaches are selling that, you know, you don't you don't want to ruin your child's op- opportunity um, by sort of, you know, by, sort of uprooting the system or by saying something that might not be popular. So a lot of these parents, I think, don't speak up when they know that something is wrong because they don't want to ruin that opportunity for their child. And Meredith and I talk so strongly about this, which is like nothing is worth and, you know, there's no opportunity that is worth your child's mental or physical well-being and safety. Mm-hmm. Um but there just aren't enough people talking about it because of those fear, the fear of re- repercussion.
2: Because Absolutely. It's real. Like, it's real. They, yeah, retaliation is real. Yeah. I mean, the club I worked at literally online bullied kids that left the club and they wanted to leave for a better opportunity. And they literally made posts and then deleted them. I mean, these are grown human beings and, and, I know uh, somebody that worked for the GA as well too that didn't get a job that they wanted to and they ended up ratting out a bunch of kids that were playing high school and the kids got in trouble nobody else got in trouble about the kids Um, so it's real so like when you know people are afraid of retaliation it's happened to me too just by being honest um, about my experiences like it is real but that's why we need more of us talking about it and more of us being brave like it you know it used to be Rachel and me individually, then it was me and Rachel together. And now we're with you, Cast. You know, so if more of us can do this, the voices will get louder.
0: And let's be clear, we reached out to at least two other women to be on this podcast. And a big reason why they are not here is that exact reason. They're worried about their expectations yeah. and their businesses because I mean, even as I'll be very honest, like female footballers is tricky for me because I have a lot of issues with the soccer system, yet. A lot of our clients are within that system and we're not trying to bash these people or anything. We're calling out the system as a whole and everybody contributes to the system not being professional. It's not just coaches, not just men, it's not just administrators, not just parents, it's, it's everyone. And I think that's where, and, and when we're talking about abuse in youth soccer, we're not just talking about the players being abused. We're also talking about the coaches being abused, the administrators being abused, the parents being abused abuse is happening yeah. to everybody at like yeah.
2: every it's uh, financial every all over the i mean as a i mean the amount of times i just was fl- not paid for working it's just like it's such an unregulated business it's it's there to be taken advantage of and like the worst thing you can do as a coach is care and be good at it um yeah. you get taken advantage of
0: and I can't tell you how many. So you know, about a month and a half ago, we put out our youth soccer system abuse kind of informal survey on our Instagram, and we had a lot of people respond. And I can't tell you how many people in the comments. I didn't share the comments, and I'm still not going to, just out of uh, respect for these people's privacy. But I had a lot of people respond with, um, they left, they they stopped coaching, they stopped playing. The parents hold their kids from the sport because of all of this stuff because it wasn't worth the mental health it wasn't worth all of it. Um, And it was just traumatizing you know and and it was like they can't they can be a part of it and it's. And so when we're talking about this I want to make sure people are understanding like, we're not calling out individual clubs we could I mean I got a lot of information from that survey of certain clubs specific clubs with multiple people reporting stuff. Um, And, you know. It, it's, but it's everywhere. And, and like I said, the two women that didn't want to join today are from a totally different part of the country, uh, where it's happening as well. And so that retribution and, and retaliation is very real. And I think that's, um, that's a scary part of it, because as a coach, your reputation is everything. Um, and if you get that, you know, if you get torn through with, with people saying that something happened and it might not be real, or it you're done, you're done in the sport. And so, it's really, it can be really scary. So, I mean, I think we define pretty definitively, emotional, verbal, physical, but I think there's a couple other forms of abuse that don't get talked about enough. Meredith, you brought one up when we kind of did our pre-talk and I'd love for you to talk more about it, but financial abuse and playing time abuse. Let's go into
2: those a little bit. So financial abuse, that's a lot of layers to that too. Cause like as a coach, I was financially abused. As a parent, you were financially abused. And then most of the clubs are financially abusing the system because they're taking advantage of a nonprofit and making millions of dollars a year. Um, And then, you know, making people like me an independent contractor so they don't have to give me benefits, you know, or just not paying me for a full team that you coach because there's not enough kids on the team but they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year like those kind of things you know and it's really it's so normal because you need to just love soccer and you're doing it because you love it so much even though it takes up 30 hours every week you know what I mean um so as a coach you're often financially abused you're taking advantage of your time especially if you work at a bigger club and you work with administrators that have other jobs like college jobs things like that you're constantly covering for them You're not given any money to do that. You're working more than other people. And like, you're just, you're taking advantage of because you want to be at that level. So like, that's a lot of what will happen to coaches um, is being taken advantage of financially or, um, you know, like I was used a lot in training companies to like help them get contracts for like a a town because I would do the practice session and they'd be like, oh, wow, we want your trainers. I wouldn't be their trainer. And then they would make a hundred thousand dollars, you know, and, and put a bunch of low level trainers that they pay 30 dollars an hour um and then with the parents you know like if you we would have this open house about how much you're going to pay we would go over what all that's going to be and it looks like twenty five hundred dollars it was like twenty seven fifty or something. it's ten thousand dollars at the end of the year if you're flying to arizona and florida and you have to pay extra for your third day a week training it's not put in there and you have to be there you might not play on the weekend but you can't say that um and you, you know like they're they're taking advantage of parents and they're like a bank account so every time they need to make more money they create a new program or every time they need more money like they would make me say like I couldn't play kids because their parents haven't paid yet you know things like that or or COVID they uh they told every kid in the club that I used to work for that they would be kicked out of the club if they didn't pay for the following year and nobody did anything like I don't I don't understand, like there's, there's emails, there's proof, Um, but that's, you know, like, I think I'm always, I'm big on that is get proof, right? You have a paper trail. Um, People need to start taking track of that and they need to start calling the IRS and auditing and forensically auditing these clubs that have been taking advantage of you. Like if you're wondering why your kid isn't getting better, it's because they're taking advantage of a nonprofit or they're embezzling money or it's. It's unfortunately, it's become like a racket to own a youth club of any sport. It's like not just soccer, but it's like, you know, it got figured out in the 90s what you could do with soccer in the big city areas, which where a lot of us are from. And it's like, you know, maybe it's become competitive in these areas, but it's a business. It has nothing to do with your child becoming a better person and a player. And it shows in like the, the way they're treated or like. And the flatness, the way our men play, like it's just, there's no passion in it because it's about making money, you know, so um, financial, I just don't understand it. We, I think we talked about it. I work the parents that I talked to, like run businesses, they have companies. You could just ask one question and you know something's wrong at the club. But I think like what Rachel said is like, they don't want to ask the questions. But the way I am is I want to know where my money's going. And if I'm paying for you to make my daughter better at soccer, she better get better.
3: <laughs> well, and, and can I help you just, you know, talking about the system and the and the clubs and everything like that. I think we don't have a good system right now for high level clubs in general, because it's, you know, the ECNL or the GA. And especially with how the ECNL clubs work, you can only have a certain number of ECNL clubs in a certain region. And, you know, one or two people are in charge of allowing clubs to come in or not. And so obviously, you know, these owners of these big ECNL clubs don't want to allow other clubs to. Pop up. Up. Right. Because they'd rather monopolize on that. And so what ends up happening is there now aren't enough. There now aren't enough options for these kids to go and play. And so that's why the parents then don't want to start a conversation and stir up anything because they know that if their kid is remotely talented and good at soccer, they don't have another place to play. Um, And I think that that's another thing that's just wrong with the system is, you know, how the selection process happens with these higher level clubs. Um, Like up here in Massachusetts, we only have two ECNL clubs and that's it. And there are so many players who want to play and who can play at that highest level. Um, But, you know, but the coaching and, and the abuse is, is there, and they don't have anywhere else to play, and it's—I don't know—it just—it shocks. We have me
2: clubs, and one of those clubs has three ECNL teams. Hmm. So, you know, we have three G or two GA. You know, it's like you're you're—it's monopoly. You know, it's a monopoly. It's not about being competitive anymore, yeah. it's about feeding yourself and making money and taking advantage of your nonprofit and using other people as your bank account and. You know, and then they use emotional manipulation to get there, to get money out of you. Well, I think that's why it frustrates up. me. That, that yeah. I think like
0: I have so many parents as a parent with two kids who are playing competitive soccer, like you mentioned, it, it ends up being 10 grand at the end of the year, for sure, because it's, it's 1500 a season. There's two seasons. There's camps that they're expected to be at and clinics that they're offered. And I think that's one thing as a parent, if you're listening, um, just because the camper clinic is offered or the shooting clinic on a Friday night is offered or whatever it might be, please know that all of this is the way the clubs are making this kind of money. And if your child is the one who wants to do these things, by all means do it. But if you are feeling the keeping up with the Joneses pressure to put your kids in them because you think that that is really the route to their development just know that that's the money making side of this where you're being abused financially and it's not always about the development of your kid but like i've told a lot of parents if your kid is the one driving the the and the interest in doing these extras then i think you listen to the kid because it's coming from them but if you're pushing <laughs> them to do it because you feel the pressure that they're going to fall behind that's literally just you being duped by the club to think they need it and and they really don't and so i think it's it's the financial abuse is really hard because parents you actually hold the key a lot to changing that part of the system and, and putting your foot That's down honey yeah <laughs> and saying like i don't want to pay this is ridiculous but that feeling of missing out the fomo the the college scholarship is what is driving a lot of this and from all of us on this call we've been in those places like college scholarship sure it was great to a scholarship and play at a great school. I'm not going to lie and say it wasn't, but not everybody has this picturesque, perfect experience like some of us had. And, yeah. and for some of us, it's the complete opposite. It was detrimental to our mental health. And I think it, it depends on the person you talk to, but for some reason we glorify this experience. I mean, my husband played pro in MLS for eight years and people always ask like oh was it amazing and sure it was it's an amazing experience however it also had some really crappy aspects to it too and nobody talks about all that and I think it's important I mean Haley just finished her career internationally about six months ago and I think it's you know like there was amazing aspects right Haley but there's also really hard parts that people don't talk about
2: and you don't really realize that you're out of it 10 years and you're like that was traumatizing actually like I look back at my college experience and I'm still best friends with my teammates they're amazing but the experience itself was traumatizing I mean Mm -hmm. like my coach messed with our heads for four years you know what I mean and like when you're going through you're developing as a human being like you don't need that that wasn't necessary in any kind of way and like they don't really have the skills to sort through that at that period of time um you're completely you know right on that and that's why you know rachel and i have talked a lot about either our traumas as a player and or as a coach and my biggest answer when people would be like oh why aren't there more female coaches i'm like first of all there are we just talk to each other we don't talk to you um and the reason why there aren't because it's not safe it was really unsafe for me like i would tell i could tell you absolutely terrible stories about stuff that's happened to me over 20 years so like any female who doesn't want to coach. to good you probably shouldn't i've advised most all my college players not to coach club do not coach club go somewhere where you could sue somebody if they hurt you because it's very difficult to get that through and starting to happen with youth coaches um i connected with one um who was uh in charge of kind of leading i think in tennessee maybe uh getting uh an, a, a coach charged with sexual abuse or something like that towards her um so it's really difficult to be that person at your club to be like hey this things these things are happening to me um but you know I think we all just need to talk a lot more I think this is what we need to do
3: well and you know I'll say this because I have played at you know I did get a scholarship to the University of North Carolina I did win national championships I did play professionally and the amount of trauma and therapy that i've had to do to overcome um and to heal from the grooming that took place with me in the youth game and the you know the emotional and verbal abuse um it's not worth it and i wish that i had been protected and i wish that i had known that quitting was an option but at, in in those moments i i didn't know that and when you're when you're trying to become the elites of the elite, or you're trying to be the best version that you can be in something, you you have to become very single-minded, right? Like my my focus was all about soccer and my development. And when that happens, right, you lose a lot of other worldly experience that other people your age get to have. Like I didn't get to go and travel abroad. I didn't get to go out and party, like all of those things because soccer was my was my primary focus. So even though I was, you know, a professional athlete in my early 20s, I still lacked a lot of worldly experience that a lot of my peers had. And again, with the normalization of the abuse and the grooming, you know, you get to the certain point and you don't even realize that it's happening. Um, and once I got into therapy and I got a chance to look back on it, that was when it really kind of all hit me like, oh my God, I, you know, I suffered so much abuse and trauma and I didn't even know it when I was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, you know, for anyone out there listening, like, yeah, it's great. Like I, you know, I got paid to play my sport, and you know, I've won national championships and things like that. But had I known that that wasn't, you know, that the, that the option was there for me to not do it and for me to protect myself, looking back on it now, I wish 100% someone would have stepped up for me. Um, and I think that that's really important to know because, again, right, the grass is always greener, and you're always, you know, you're chasing after that proverbial carrot of the pro contract or the college scholarship and we lose sight of being mentally present and and taking care of our physical health our mental health um and so i think you know we really have to be aware of how these kids are feeling in the moment and stop pushing them toward oh how great would this be how great would this be how great would this be um and that's something that i see a lot of now and and you know that's why I do what I do. Um, I refuse to go anywhere near the club situation just because of how I was treated when I played club. Um, and I want, I want nothing to do with it. My, my passion is to develop these kids. Um, and it's great because I don't have to deal with, you know, DOCs and, and owners and things like that. And I hear all these shady stories and I just, you know, I'm, and my kids all know this. I don't want any part of it.
0: And I think that touches on, um, you know, a lot of people ask us, like, I get asked a lot, why aren't there more women in coaching? Why aren't we representing? um, Why aren't they going into it? And I think this is a, a large reason why. And people have asked me recently, why are you talking so much about abuse? You're supposed to be talking about mental skills. And I'm like, well, they go hand in hand. Like, as women, we already have so much we're dealing with on the mental side. And then you add in these extra levels of and layers of abuse, that shouldn't be coming from the actual place where they're supposed to be thriving and working on and building such wonderful skills it has to be talked about and it's uh, it's awkward to have to talk about it because it might affect our business but i'm not doing this to make money and i think that's where i think all of us on this call are, are actually in this to be like this conversation is is meant to be helpful to show that there's a lot of of junk that we're dealing with and it needs to come to the forefront so we can fix it. And I want to get into that in a minute so that we start to talk about how we can make changes going forward. Haley, did you want to add? I know I like talked about your experience and I
1: no, yeah, yeah. totally kind of echoing echoing everything that you guys have said, but I think like the pressure we put on young women not only to like forge this path for themselves, but also we're hoping that they can cope with this and kind of go through all of it. Um, And make it out the other side. And I'm thinking kind of about like Rachel said and like wishing she could step away. I also think about we shouldn't be saying like, oh, it's okay. Like, I think it's important to say, yes, you can quit. But why are we putting that decision on girls when they have those goals to play professionally? And what's stopping them are harmful people in a system that we need to get rid of. And so for me, a big focus is, and it's a very big goal, but working on those systemic changes to get rid of it rather than helping women cope with kind of these things. And I know that's what we do at Female Footballers a bit because that's the stage of soccer and youth sports that we're in right now, where we have to kind of equip women with these skills to deal with these problems. But in the ideal scenario, you should be able to pursue any level of soccer you want and not have to sacrifice um, your goals in order to accomplish them.
3: Well, and Haley, that's a that's a great point. Such a big thing that I struggle with because I do, you know, uh, I do mental performance um, sessions with my players, and often I find myself coming off the call being like, "Why am I teaching a child how to deal with an adult's
0: behavior
3: instead of holding the adult accountable?" And that's the that's the hardest part. And I start all of these conversations with, "What is happening to you is not okay." but here's how we deal with it. And, and that's the part that eats away at me is that we're teaching these kids how to cope and we're teaching them really sort of almost dysfunctional coping mechanisms instead of attacking the root of the problem, which is making the adult problem, like adults accountable. Yeah.
2: And it's and, like, you know, it's so unfair to them. I, I always say something really similar. I'm like, this is a really adult lesson you have to learn. And that's unfair to you Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you, you have to preface everything like that because you're teaching them something they shouldn't really have to learn at 11 or 12 is how to deal with an immature adult um, who's in their way. <laughs> That's all they are, you know, um, and drastically affects the. You know, I have a, I have a lot of girls that want to quit. I don't blame them. I've had probably seven college girls transfer in the last like three years. It's just it's it's really difficult over time you know it's like I don't want them to have to quit either but I get it also like where's the reward if it's really affecting their mental health at some point you know you, you do they do have to set that own boundary for them and it's unfair for them to have to do that but that's why we have to change every we have to hold the adults accountable instead of constantly having to teach children how to deal with us you know what and I mean then- they so much weight put on the kids and the players to deal with it and it's you know what I mean it's like it's all the adults
0: and it's I mean when we talk about changing the system so when I get into like what's what are some calls to action and things we can do one of the things that I all of the what you guys are saying like a hundred percent in teaching I always equate everything to teaching because the education system kind of mirrors the, the youth soccer system so much and a couple of years ago I remember getting really frustrated and tired of teaching because it became where the kids have to take these state tests and those state tests mean everything for the money that the the schools get, right? And so instead of really like changing the system in the way that we teach, we started to educate them on how to take the test. I remember going to my boss and being like, I don't understand why I'm teaching them how to take a test instead of teaching them the concepts on the test. Like this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And about two years after that the entire education system started to shift in the way we taught. I stopped teaching and we were told to stop teaching to teach to the test. And in fact, during COVID, they got rid of the test altogether, which was hugely important and awesome. It's coming back this year, unfortunately. But um, what I think has been interesting is in that time, we started to teach creativity again and common sense and critical thinking skills through STEM education. And the reason I'm bringing this up is it's possible to change a system. And I think a lot of people don't, they they wash their hands of it and they're like, it's too big for anyone to take on. You're right, it is too big for anyone to take on. But if we all band together and we come up with better solutions, we actually implement them and we stop caring about the money a little bit because that's the one element where edu- the public education system is different. And um, it, it can change. And I've seen it in education, which is why I have so much um, just excitement about changing the system, and I'm, I'm invested in making those, those calls to action and, and doing something to make a difference because I've really seen, and it happened faster than people think, like right now in the education system, we're changing the way that we deal with consequences with behavior, and we're really implementing social, emotional, restorative practices. And it is changing the way teachers are having to look at the way they teach, and it's hard. And there's teachers that are pushing back, and I think we're going to see the same thing all these discussions about abuse are changing the way coaches are viewing their jobs. And like you said, Meredith, it's why women aren't wanting to go into coaching. It's why there's a shortage of coaches. It's why coaches are coaching four different teams. It's It's kind of starting this unraveling of the messed up system we've been in. But that's, to me, I get excited about that because that's where change is going to start to happen. But we've got to start to give actual concrete ways that we can do that. So I know we have kind of brainstormed a little bit of what are some of the needs and interventions that we feel like we could do to help change the system. So the first one we had kind of brainstormed was um, the outside entity to report abuse. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. What do you guys think um, uh, when we talk about that?
2: Yeah, I think there, there needs to be a way to, to uh, report Abuse that has no connection to U.S. soccer or your league, or it's like some internal report that's going to end up with nothing. Um, just like a social worker, um, you know what I mean. If something's reported to them, they have to do something because that's their job. There needs to be somebody because I mean they have those on every website and every league. Anyone knows they go absolutely nowhere. You're never going to get a response from anybody about anything. So there needs to be uh, some kind of third party that exists that is not funded by somebody that would benefit by them existing
3: well and i think it needs to be twofold i think we need you know that outside reporting system but then we also need an outside education system as well to come in and retrain and to educate these coaches because i think a lot of what happens too is that you know this is how these coaches were coached and you know the cycle continues to perpetuate itself and They don't fully understand the the far-reaching consequences of their words and their actions and how this affects um, the players that they coach. I think especially when males are coaching females, um, there needs to be so much more education. And even when you look at the the licensing and things like that for soccer, it all talks about the X's and the O's and the tactics of it, but it never talks about how to – interact or how to properly teach um, these players. And I think, yes, we need to have a reporting system, but two, we also need to have more education for these coaches so that the ones who, you know, who want to change can change and the ones that don't can then be out and move on their way. 100%
0: I can like I think it's baffling again with education like I not only have to know the standards that I teach and had to go to school to make sure that I know how to teach about you know the mission system in California but I also had to go to school to learn about childhood development and what is expected emotionally physically mentally from a child from ages 2 to 18 like that was a requirement for me. And then I'm also held to standards of, I have to do trainings every single year on sexual misconduct and um, suicide prevention and all these types of things. And I think it's crazy that, like when we talk about professionalism, there's no educating coaches on childhood development like you throw a coach in to coach teenage girls who knows nothing about what it's like to be a teenage girl hasn't educated themselves on it Just because you have a daughter that age doesn't mean you know anything about it i have a daughter who's nine and i still can't remember what it's like to be nine thank goodness i'm a teacher and i have access to all this kind of stuff but 100 the education system it's not just needing courses on mental skills which they also don't have but it's all the stuff you're talking about 100 percent
2: Well, right now it's like being a, having your license in America is running a practice. That's what they're, they're, can you run a practice? Like that's where we still are. They are so far ahead in Europe we are so far behind, like we're still evaluating, can you run a practice? You know what I mean? So over there, I mean, I was so lucky to have coaching education um, through the ECNL actually, if you stayed for the coaching courses, which I did and like 30 other coaches did out of 300, um, they were pretty good. And one of the guys um, talked a lot about like that, that we're performers and it's exhausting and it can be difficult to do. And it was like extremely informative about like how to prepare to perform as a coach so you can like be your best. And like I said, there are about like 30 people there who are interested in it. And this guy was from Man City. You know what I mean? It, it, it's just, it, there, the education is the key to it. And then we have to weed people out through it, I think, just like in any other school. And it's too easy to pass our courses. They're based off of writing a practice um and doing things the way they want you to that's about it it has nothing to do with being an effective coach which well, has you to do even need
3: licensing right yeah.
2: I mean there's no like I you
0: know
3: I
2: like and people hire me these and you know they didn't require it there yeah. there was no requirement there might be now but there was no requirement for at least 10 years of even having a license to coach
3: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's baffling that the and when we talk about professionalism in the sport, it's it's that kind of stuff. So some things I think that um you know it's it's hard to change an entire system. We know it's not going to happen overnight. We're being realistic, which is why we started female footballers because we knew we couldn't change the system. We had to empower the girls. But when we're talking about small things that can be changed, parents, if you're listening, you hold the key to a lot of this. Um, you need to ask more questions. You need to ask where your money goes. You need to ask what trainings your coach has been in. You need to ask not just with the licensing they have, because all they're going to tell you is A, B, C, D, whatever. You don't know what that means. So ask in your licensing, did you learn about my 10-year-old daughter's age and what a 10-year-old girl is going through? And if they say no, go to the board and be like, do we offer any um, ability for our coaches to learn about the development emotionally about the children that they're coaching like how are we supporting them and is my money going to that because that's where your money should be going if they continue to just buy mechanisms to create or to collect more data on children we don't need to know how fast 10 year olds are honestly we We need exactly and it's like we really need to be giving our money to these areas that are going to help your child in Those are like
2: emotional development, like how hard the last two years been for everybody. And like every adult was allowed to be like the last two years were hard, but my kid needs to get over it. Like what? We're not going to even know what the pandemic did to kids for like 10 more years. So like there's been a lack of patience towards them. Um, But you're totally right. Like the way I look at it is like you are contracting the club to develop your kid and to help get them to where you want them to go. If you were contracting someone to fix your bathroom, wouldn't you do a lot of research on if they know if they're doing a good job or not? Wouldn't there be a lot to like find out about them? You know what I mean? In regards to what they've done before. Why don't you put the same kind of energy into the person who's gonna be in charge of your child's development? Mm -hmm. And if that person is unsavory and you don't feel good, pull your kid off the team, who cares? i'm you know like i don't believe in quitting but i also don't believe in your kid putting up with abuse for no reason um because you're paying you're contracting for your kid to get developed and that's why people come to people like me and rachel because you are gonna get that you're actually gonna get what you paid for you're gonna get somebody who cares about your kid just like you guys and somebody who says what they do and who's there to help um and there's a lot of relief in that and we're always all gonna have uh, you know, companies because we actually care about kids. So like changing the whole system, you're totally right, it starts with education. So waking the parents up, they hold the biggest key because it's their money. You stop spending money and or you embarrass a company, you would make a change. So if you say nothing and you do nothing, then you allow things to continue to happen, even though think- maybe you've helped your kid, you know?
0: And I think the, um, if you're a coach listening, It's also like don't just go to the club that has the best reputation to coach for them or the the club that makes the most money if you're truly in coaching because you want to develop and make a difference with children obviously we know you need to make a living and all that i get that but like i didn't get into teaching for the money i mean i did this because i wanted to make a difference with kids and i don't do female footballers to make the money but i'll be honest with you you need to vet that club too don't go to the club that's the biggest Who's you know going to pay you the most? Go to the club with the best reputation. Who has a DOC that you respect? You know, go to a club. Or if you're a parent, you want to join the board. Don't join the board because you think it's going to make your kid go on the A team, and you're going to get all the perks from it. Join the board because you want to make a difference in getting you know better education for the coaches. Right, that's to make it more professional. <laughs> that will benefit your kid in the long run much more than getting them on the A team. You know, don't lose sight of the overall reason you put your kid in the sport in the first place, which is to learn about themselves, to become whole player and whole people. I mean, there's look at the bigger picture and stop getting sucked into the, the FOMO and the Joneses and all the crap that doesn't matter, you know?
2: I also like I <laughs> try my clients how to play the system. So like turn it, all right? If it's playing you, let's let's learn how to play it as well. And a lot of my clients, you know, I tell them when they're younger, if you're happy and you're healthy and you're getting better, you stay exactly where you are. You don't need to go to some big club. There's no if your coach is good and they're treating you like a kid, then you're where you need to be. And when you're ready to showcase at a certain level, you can leave and go there and you don't need to be emotionally invested in it. But again, like we have we're having to teach kids and parents how to like manage what's going on. Um, and that's a temporary thing. And I, you know, it's like what all of us want to do is like this all needs to really change. Like it, it's, we're, we're, we're band-aids, you know, all of us. We're helping in the way that we can, but we're also like not where we should be, you know, in regards to player development. And, you know, so it's where uh, we have been here or there and it's just not built for us. So like it's not, I don't want to be involved in club anymore. I don't, ca- I've never cared about the level I've been at. Um, but it needs to change for people like us to be involved in it. Um, so I think talking like this helps call to actions, talk, paper trails, emails, don't be afraid to be a squeaky wheel. If they have a problem with it, then that's not the club you need to be at. Um, and you're going to find out a lot by asking questions. And then, you know, I think you need to keep track and record everything. If you are dealing with any verbal abuse, turn your camera on, on your phone, on your video and keep it in your bag. And if you're a minor and somebody is verbally abusing you, that is illegal. You don't put up with it because you play a sport. Um, And if you're worried about it being misconstrued, I'm not worried about that ever happening to me. So I don't understand that train of thought, personally. And
3: I think, too, one thing for the parents listening that's really important to remember is that what happens, you know, this kind of abuse and things like that that happen in soccer, it doesn't stay in soccer. You're teaching your daughter, how she is allowed to be treated. And when you allow these men to, or women for that matter, to yell and berate and humiliate and, you know, say all these horrible things, that's who they then go on to, you know, to date, to marry. Um, You're teaching them how they deserve to be treated. And so it doesn't just stay in soccer and it affects their entire life. And I think That to me is the most important thing um, is knowing that these incidences don't happen in a vacuum, right? Your, your kids are constantly learning and, you know, making sense of the world around them from these events. And so, you know, that's going to lead to her, you know, putting up with a boss, for example, that is abusive or a husband or a wife or, you know, something like that. And so I think keeping in mind that if you wouldn't want your daughter to be treated this way by a man or a woman that they're dating, then you shouldn't allow them to be coached that way either.
0: 100%. Yeah. Haley, what do you think?
1: I was just going to say kind of going off of all that, we see how malleable young kids are based on all the things we've been talking about. And so we talk about education, all these things we want to kind of implement and change. But if you're an individual who thinks that is too big, every action you make as an individual coach or as an individual trainer or a parent, you can be modeling and kind of shifting that culture for the next generation of players. Maybe in the worst case, the coaches we have now are never going to get better and we can't change them, but maybe we can teach our young players how, when they become coaches, when they become players, how they should be modeling for the next generation. And that might take longer than we expect it to, but that's kind of a way that we can have a direct impact on players, not only to not put up with how they're dealing with their own playing experience, but how they want it to go moving forward. I remember in college, freshmen were forced to do things because that's how it was when the seniors were freshmen. And to me, that was ridiculous. Like, why would you want your younger players who you're trying to win games with and develop a supportive culture doing the same things that you didn't like feeling that way? So for me, when I became a senior, I was still picking up cones. I was still doing all the things that we had given just to freshmen. And there was a very large culture shift in kind of the chemistry on the team. And how we treated each other and even something as small as that and kind of showing the value that you put in younger players um, can really make a difference. So I think whether or not there's going to be large systemic change in a short period of time, that's unclear, but we can make little steps to help players moving forward.
0: Yeah, And it drives me nuts when people are like, it's too big to change. That's such BS. It's not too big to change. It just it requires work. And people who, and the work, like you said, it's not going to happen overnight. So people wash their hands of it because they're like, it's too big to change, blah, blah, blah. But honestly, it could change faster than we think, but we actually have to do something about it. We can't just keep, you know, calling it out and then not following up with it. And so for us, this podcast was about calling it out and, and letting people know this is happening. If you're turning a blind eye, stop turning a blind eye. Stop being, if you're, if you're not doing something to help make a change, you're part of the problem still. And we need you to start being a part of the solution. And there are many ways to do that. Like we've mentioned, like Meredith said, like start recording everything. The more record you have of everything in emails, in texts, recordings of things, whatever it might be, that's one start. Start asking questions of your coaches, your boards, your DOCs, if you're a coach, start asking questions. If you're a DOC, stop caring about the money so much I I know that's unrealistic to say but like my husband was a DOC and is no longer in youth soccer because he felt like it was disgusting to be a part of and like you said Meredith like if people feel that it's disgusting like don't be a part of it you know because I don't think that it's going to help too. Like I say the same thing with teachers. If you're a teacher who feels so burned out and you're so over it, you're not going to be helping the kids the best that you can. So find a way that you That's can- happened to me.
2: I was starting to get in fights with ECNL coaches on the sideline because they're so awful to their players. And I would know within that moment, I'm like, I'm not focusing on my players and where they need to be because I'm yelling at some jerk across the field because he can talks to a 13-year-old, like, I don't know, some man in an alleyway. You know, it's it it, it became like I couldn't do my job. That's what it felt like. I was like I was showing up on the weekend and I want to like work on my team and our tactics and things that we've been working on. And I've got to protect my players from and and his players from some guy that is next to me, you know, so and it became like I was always burned out and I was always angry and I started not coaching a way that I like to and I had it was time to be done. And with the way that I get to do it now, I get to be relaxed and really focus on the player and, you know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's rewarding, but then again, it keeps people like me and you and Rachel away from coaching teams. We don't, I don't want to anymore. I get that question all the time, too. Is I, it, No, it's not enjoyable. It's that you can be good at something and not like it and it not be safe. So, you know, it's, it, it has to improve, like it is, a big, it is a big project, but it takes a lot of people, you know, it can be done, but it takes a, a lot of people need to ask questions and not be afraid to say things like we are, you know? And I know that's difficult to do, um, but as soon as there's more of us asking more questions and being louder, it'll get picked apart more. And we But we need help from the parents. There's more of them than there are female coaches.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's where, like, if you're a parent listening, you know, do your job as far as as the small things, like ask the questions, hold your club accountable, um, make them be more professional, you have the ability, they, you, they're at your beck and call, you're the money, you know, you're giving all the money, so you have a lot more power um, than you think but hopefully your head is screwed on, right? And you're not doing this because you want your kid to, <laughs> you know, whatever. It, there's so many layers to it, but I hope that if you're listening, you got a lot out of this as to this is existing and it's existing in every city in America. Just so you know, when we did our survey, it was all over the place. It wasn't just certain areas. It wasn't just the post. We heard story. I've heard stories from all over clubs, People in rural areas that can't play soccer anymore because there isn't a club team, because they were so corrupt. There are multiple female and male coaches that have felt abused by the DOCs, the admins, the parents. I've heard from multiple parents. I think our survey had the most parents who responded on behalf of their daughters. Um, The most that we heard about was emotional and verbal abuse, ages 10 to 18. It, but again, it's happening everywhere. And all the comments that we um, pulled together have the same words that we've used in this podcast, gaslighting, berating, um, you know, verbal, emotional abuse, all the, all the words that go along with all of that. And it's, it's just very real. And we hope that you stop turning your head and thinking that it doesn't exist or that you can't make a difference. And we start trying, we start trying the smallest ways, because if we've seen anything in the last five to seven years in our country is, you know, when people come together, whether it was um, groups that held racial issues accountable, if it's groups that held um, sexual abuse and the Me Too movement, it's when people band together and they actually talk about it on a larger scale, change does happen, people are held accountable. And I think that um, we can make those differences, but we gotta start somewhere. And it's great that the NWSL is, is starting these talks and that people are paying attention but we need to start doing it in the youth side so I hope that if you're listening that uh, you join together please reach out to us at Female Footballers to Meredith at Rooney Performance uh, or Rooney Player Development right um Rachel and Summit Soccer Academy all of us are doing the work we're trying our hardest we need more of you if you're listening to join us and have these conversations and come up with different programs um, but please you know do the best you can to make the difference in your community.
2: Any last things you guys wanna say? I know just like, thank you for doing this. You know, it's, um, I I hope that more comes out of it or, you know, that it inspires somebody to feel courageous to tell their story. And the more of us that can do that, the louder we're gonna get and the more likely we can actually make a change. So I just appreciate you guys putting this together. Absolutely. I hope
3: that, you know, this is the first of many conversations that we get to have like this. Um, And I'm just, you know, inspired and grateful to be a part of it and to be on it. And and I look forward to kind of making, starting to make that change.
0: Absolutely. Well, we thank you all for listening and um, we will definitely have you guys on again. I think we're going to have to make this like a a quarterly thing because there's so many layers to this we didn't even get to Mm -hmm. that we could talk in depth about. So. Uh, but thank you both for being on. Thank you, Haley. Um, and keep listening. We have a lot of fun interviews and things coming up in our podcast. So we hope that you keep coming back every week, share it and um, make it bigger. So thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks.